Russia, 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 that great big hoax that had Democrats entertained in the fake news, fake flabbergasted for, what was it, two years? And how many lies since, right? So many, so many, so many. The latest dictator. He's a dictator. Donald Trump will be a dictator. And they love this one. It's just as fake as the others, though. We begin this hour with the Republican Party's slow march into autocracy, led by Donald Trump, the one-day dictator wannabe. When Donald Trump talks about day one, yeah. uh, being an authoritarian, a dictator, they're saying day by day mm. he's becoming more autocratic. Boasting about some of the dictatorial actions he may take. He would act like a dictator if he's re-elected president uh, just for day one. If Trump were to be re-elected again, that they, would, they believed that he would be a dictator really is like they all got the same talking points, right? Uh, so I actually admit, I didn't know what they were talking about. Where does this come from? Where did this happen all of a sudden? Turns out he said it on Hannity, Sean Hannity's show. Now, I don't even know what time that show is on. Uh, but once I saw it, I realized this, this is what they're trying to make a big deal out of. Yes, it is. Another lie about Trump. Now, take a listen. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight, you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Yeah. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, that's drill, not a, that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps... We love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay? that, that sounds to me like... All right, so the fake news is freaking out on purpose because I know what this means. I know what this really means. And they should know as well. They either don't know. That's a good, good chance. They have no idea of history or anything like that. And actually, dictatorship, so to speak. Well, let me go through it. Every president at some point signs executive orders or presidential memoranda. They are essentially temporary laws, right? And they can't be undone except by another president. Sometimes they can be vetoed, very, very rare. It's an executive order. Presidents do it, often on day one. I don't think anybody has done it as much as FDR. He was the first. Uh, you know who came pretty damn close to second? Biden. Biden gets in there, and what did he do? He had a great big stack of executive orders. You see those things that look like restaurant menus, right? Those are each an executive order, and he's signing it. He's not going to Congress. He's not doing that whole schoolhouse rock thing, one after the next after the next. He's not asking anybody's permission. He's just doing it. And that has actually been criticized by many, by both sides, as somewhat dictatorial. They didn't even like it when Obama did it. Can Congress stop the president's executive order? November 19, 2014, who was president then? Yeah, Obama. And story after story, granted it was Obama, so they kind of like, you know, Obama could be swept away. Oh, president Obama's abuse of executive action. and It was Obama, so it was okay. It's Trump, and everybody's supposed to lose their minds. And actually, I'll give the fake news credit. Five years ago, Trump does not abuse executive power any more than Democrats do. How about that? But you see what they're trying to do? They are mm, lying, lying and fear-mongering and trying to get everybody worked up. So people who don't follow the news very closely, they just kind of overhear it. 
oh, Trump wants to be a dictator. Uh, they don't tell them about executive orders. They don't tell them that uh, Biden and FDR and the rest. This is what they do. And from time to time, I like to play this clip. It is the mother load of fake news, really. It is how they stooped to this level. And I'm the only one in the world who's been calling them out on it. CNN, they are complete and total liars. They have not apologized for this. We have to write them. You have to tag Aaron Burnett and say, excuse me, you just lied about the president of the United States on national television. And that's okay. It's not. Watch. And let's take a close look at another one of those properties that Trump refers to. 40 Wall Street, one of the most treasured jewels in Trump's crown. That property is central to the New York Attorney General's case against him. It is a building that Trump loves to tout. Just listen to him on 9-11. Let me just be clear here. This is on 9-11-2001, moments after the World Trade Center buildings collapsed. Here's Donald Trump. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. And it was actually before the World Trade Center was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest, and now it's the tallest. Just think about that for a second. If you were alive on that day, that's what he said on 9-11. I'm thinking about that for a moment. And uh, I was actually there on 9-11 in the afternoon, and uh, I actually am familiar with this interview, and she is lying. First, she shares it with fake news colleagues and swamp rat lawyers like uh, Ty Cobb. This guy actually represented Trump, and she brings him into the conversation. And listen to what he has to say. Uh, I have to say in all of this, Ty, one of the things that just, did, just to take that moment, on, on 9-11, that your comment on that day would have been, uh. my building's now the tallest. I don't know. For some reason, there are still things that can break through all of this and give one pause, I hope. Um, the, but but how, the, is 9/11, how is 9-11 about Trump? How, you know, that's just, it's just, it's just repulsive. And it's so sad. Three, almost 3,000 people laid, lost their lives. Yeah. And he's talking about his, his building and yeah, lying about how yeah. big it is. Yeah. He said repulsive. It's rep- they are repulsive. It's beyond dishonesty. It's beyond lies. It's, I don't know what it is. Is it evil, maybe? This is what Donald Trump really said during that interview that they took out of context to make him look bad. They... They had an idea what bad looked like. I think these are some of the most remarkably sensitive comments I've heard about 9-11, and he said them that day. For years, I've looked right directly at the building. I'd see the Empire State Building in the foreground and the World Trade Center in the background, and now I'm looking at absolutely nothing. It's just gone, and it's just hard to believe. There's nothing you can do when people are going to be bombing planes at your building. Now, I guess maybe the world is going to be changing and maybe you're going to have F-16s flying all over the city, etc. But it's a pretty tough situation. The big thing that, that you really will have to do is never forget. You just can't forget that something like this happened. One of the very sad things is going to be when you look at the skyline of New York, which has become so emblazoned in your own memory, and you look in, at the skyline of New York and you see these buildings, these two buildings, whether you love them or don't love them, they were a great part of the skyline. And then when you look at the skyline after 2001, and you're going to see a skyline without these two buildings, you're going to say, what happened? People won't believe it. This was probably worse than Pearl Harbor. Many more people are dead. And, and you know, they don't know. They have no idea. But 
Uh, I have somebody that was down there who witnessed at least 10 people jumping out of the building from 70 and 80 stories up in the air. I mean, you probably have 25 or 30,000 is the number I've heard, but I would think would be much more than that. This country is different today, and, and it's going to be different than it ever was for many years to come. You see what they did there, huh? During the interview, the reporter, the host, asked him, direct, hey, don't you have a building down there? That's how it came up. It was an aside about the building. This is what they do. And this is what they are doing. CNN should apologize for this and 10,000 other things, of course. But this is what it's about, creating fear, creating this fake image of Donald Trump as a monster. <laughs> Jack Smith, you think this guy is leveling with the American people? He is on a mission. Get him. Do whatever you have to do. I don't think it's going to work, but... It's getting a little uncomfortable. He ran to the Supreme Court today demanding immediate action. You know, it's the client's right. It's the defendant's right to a speedy trial. He's insisting that this thing go really, really, really fast. I think it has something to do with the election, huh? I thought back to when he announced the indictment. It was in the summer. A couple of things. Watch. Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. Obstructing an official proceeding. You notice he should be nervous because this is the craziest, stupidest case in the world. But did you see when he walked in? They can actually pull this off because we have no media. This is a pretty important deal, don't you think? Indicting President Trump, look who shows up. <laughs> Democracy, right? Next. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. He doesn't really mean that, because if you read it in full, you'll even be more outraged. Did you read it in full? Really? Come on. You should. You got to know this stuff. It's available. It's actually hard to find. They don't want you reading it. And when you do, you see what a, what a fraud it is, that they are the criminals. Next. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. Uh, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. There are a lot worse things that happened at the Capitol, and it is disrespectful to the memories of the people whose lives were forever altered. Like in 1954, did you know five members of Congress were shot in the House of Representatives? Yeah, some terrorists got up and started firing at people. How about in 1998? Two Capitol Police officers were shot and killed. What about their memory? What about their families? Okay, this wasn't a bear spray incident. This wasn't a suicide two weeks later. These men were cut down in the line of duty. But we, I get, we dishonor them. We dishonor them. Next. It's described in the indictment. It was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government 
the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. Who determines what's a lie and what's the truth? How can he? I get the sense from this guy, seriously, the things that he's saying and are about to say, that it's the government, like the Ministry of Truth, they'll never be able to prove what they think they can prove because it didn't happen, number one. But let's keep going here. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. He's, he's kind of mad about that, right? This is a classic tactic that they use. They hide behind people in uniform, right? If you insult me, well, you're actually insulting them. They're hiding, literally. And I'm sorry, January 6th was a, was a colossal security failure and also a security what? Why are these police officers just standing there as people come in? Who ordered that? Who ordered that? And here's that speedy trial part. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. A jury of citizens, Washington, D.C. citizens, 90% Democrat, and all of them pretend that uh, January 6th was worse than 9-11 down there. They do. <laughs> Wrapping up. Thank you. Why didn't you charge any of the other co-conspirators in this event? Democracy in action, huh? You can't question them. No questions. Just walk out of the room. And a lame media presence, they allow it. They allow it. Not the photographers are fine, but you know. Uh, no one's demanding anything. It's just, okay, the government says something. Well, we still have a system where the defense gets to make a case after they do. And John Laurel, the unsung hero here, in my opinion, he's uh, one of Donald Trump's attorneys and he's representing this federal January 6th stuff. And he's awesome. The defense is quite simple. Donald Trump, President Trump, believed in his heart of hearts that he had won that election. And as any American citizen, he had a right to speak out under the First Amendment. He had a right to petition governments around the country, state governments, based on his grievances that election irregularities had occurred. He had every right to speak about the important issues that were taking place after the election. Certainly, Mr. Pence, his vice president, agreed with him that there were anomalies and discrepancies in the election process. And Mr. Trump had every right to petition government and enforce his First Amendment rights. That's why this indictment is an attack on the First Amendment. The government, the Biden administration, would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that President Trump did not believe that he had won the election. They will never be able to do that. And that's why this prosecution is so ill-conceived. Ill-conceived and worse. This prosecution is a crime. Donald Trump's in good hands, but the whole system seems to be opposed. And now this matter is before the Supreme Court. Um, I'm worried about Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh. They were traumatized, especially Kavanaugh when they all showed up on his lawn. I don't blame the guy, but still. All right, when we come back, Liz Cheney 
and her obnoxious and bad book. I'm almost done with it, and I will be giving a full book report later this week. <laughs> but a little teaser when I come back. It was just obvious that we cannot survive as a nation if we have a president mm. who's going to unravel the foundations of the republic. He himself is trying to unravel democracy. People need to take seriously and literally what he's saying, which is that he would, in fact, uh, unravel our democracy, potentially terminate the Constitution. Uh, it's, it's a risk we can't take. Once we get through this election cycle uh, and we defeat Donald Trump, I think there's, there's clearly a huge amount of work that has to be done um, to restore, you know, to, to right the ship of our democracy. Oh, my goodness gracious. There is one thing worse than listening to Liz Cheney, and that is reading her book. <laughs> reading her book. I am doing this for you, so please do not, whatever you do, buy this book. Uh, it is horrible. Basically, it's, it's a bunch of transcripts of speeches she gives. <laughs> and she's the only one who stands up for principles. No elected Republican stands for anything except her. And, uh, oh, the other people she really likes, anybody who's unelected, the House parliamentarian, secretaries of defense, these are the paragons, but anybody who bothered to get approval from the people must be a jerk. <laughs> and she does not have approval from the people. Uh, let's see here. You know, she was kicked out of the House conference. That's democracy. She says she loves democracy. Uh, well, the RNC voted to censure her. They had a vote, okay? They had a vote, and that's all right. Uh, let's see here. She lost re-election by how much? I mean, 28% of the vote. Wow, that's 38 points she lost by. Now, uh, it doesn't matter, any of this stuff, because she's anti-Trump, and she goes on all the fake news shows. I mean all of them. Go ahead and uh, put it up there. This is just a small sample of the show she goes on. And this is what the left does. They hook each other up. They are going to sell this book no matter what it takes, right? Everywhere, all the time. I think, quite frankly, she turns people off. And maybe they're less likely to buy the book when they see her. And she's going to make money. And she's already made a lot, a lot of money. The Cheneys have. She's worth $44 million, it is estimated. And she makes such a big deal about public service. She's only been in office for, she was in office for four years, was it? How about her father, Dick Cheney? You know, the guy who gave us the Iraq War, right? All those people, $90 million. And they talk about service. I think they're talking about servicing their banks, really. Uh, I'll have a few more things to say later in the week. It is, it's somewhat entertaining how bad it is, actually. All right, I have to talk about Jon Stewart for a moment. Jon Stewart, the hero of the left. They love this guy. He was super-duper popular about, was it, 10, 15 years ago? Then he kind of retired. Now he's coming back. And he used to be funny and used to take shots at both sides. Now he's all in, totally in with the left and hates everything MAGA, anything that might be conservative. Um, so the left really, really loves him now. I mean, the whole thing is just, it just. It just John Stewart, ladies and gentlemen.
I can't thank you enough. I love you, my man. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, it's been a all right, all right. That's just a little sample. Dave Chappelle is cool, though. John Stewart used to be cool. Now he's just, I guess it's Trump derangement syndrome. I don't know what's happening here. Or he just want this is the way to get on TV in Hollywood now. You can't be you can't be reasonable. You gotta do stuff like this. What's Protect the children? leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm gonna give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct, yes. So what is it? I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. More than cancer, more than car accidents. And what you're telling me is you don't mind infringing free speech to protect children from this amorphous thing that you think of. But when it comes to children that have died, you don't give a flying f to stop that because that shall not be infringed. And they say Donald Trump uh, crosses the line, right? If only we could have a conversation. Then there's this. The right wants strict rules for everything, from what teachers can teach, to who can read to children, to what color mermaids are. But when it comes to- You hear to that? The right, we're so uptight. Yes, we do care about who reads to our children. How about certified teachers that aren't fixated on sexuality and gender? and not bringing in random drag queens to read to our kids. You got a problem with that? That's MAGA extremist. What the hell happened to John Stewart? So you're looking at Abe Hamaday, a veteran, a former prosecutor, and a newly endorsed candidate for the United States Congress by President Trump. He made it official on Truth Social. That's all about you, Abe Hamaday. And let's go to the most critical lines here in this endorsement. Abe Hamaday will be a true warrior in Congress and also put America first. He knows that if the flame of freedom is extinguished, it may never come back again. And also, I'm giving him my complete and total endorsement. In District 8 in Arizona, he will never let you down. Abe Hamaday, welcome to the show. Uh, you better not let us down. President Trump said so. Congratulations on the endorsement. Give us an update, please. Thank you, Greg. You know, I was actually in Washington, D.C. Uh, the past few days, and President Trump gave me a call when I was sitting on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. So it was really, really beautiful. And, you know, we talked for about 15 minutes and about what's going on in our country and how we're going to fix it. And I'm really excited, looking forward to when President Trump's in the White House, when Kerry Lake's in the U.S. Senate, when I'm in the House of Representatives. I think it's going to be a powerful force going to Washington to secure our border, to bring back election integrity and to make sure we have peace and prosperity across the world. Because everybody has seen the destructive policy of policies of Joe Biden's administration. So it's time we bring back common sense, conviction, and courage, Greg. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most. And and I'm really honored to have the support of President Donald Trump. I know he endorsed me for attorney general, and it's a, quite a competitive field for Congress, but he knows who the true fighters who are the true fighters now. So it's, it's really a blessing and an honor. Wow. Well, it sounds like you were born for this kind of work, really, and uh, you're ready for it. So the political world and some of the MAGA world chewing over, you know, Blake Masters, who's also running for this House seat, I believe, like you, he ran for something last year and uh, he did not get the big nod. Uh, that's uh, tough luck for him. Um, you got these other guys vying for it. Blake Masters has uh, got a lot of money, pretty big pockets, deep pockets there. Give us your sense of the competition. What do you what do you think? 
I'm not too worried about them. Honestly, President Trump's uh, endorsement record in Arizona last year was 100 percent in the primary. That's, you know, President Trump is beloved in Arizona amongst Republicans and, quite frankly, all Arizonans. So uh, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I'm going to talk about, you know, the issues that impact Congressional District 8 the most. And it's really right now all I hear about is border security, election integrity and inflation. I mean, inflation is skyrocketing now and people are really, really feeling in their pocketbook. So they'll say the race, you know, it, the Arizona's primary is a long way away, uh, Greg. It's in August. So, you know, there's going to be plenty of time to campaign. But I think having the support of President Donald Trump, Carrie Lake, yeah, we, we've got a lot of good, great supporters on my team. Inflation really is bothering me. You know, $20, $20 used to, I don't know, multiple purchases. Now it's one. It's, it's one meal, uh, you know, and I do like fast food. I, there's a lot of things that uh, is driving us crazy right now. Immigration is far more in, important and pressing. Take a look at Anthony Blinken on, the, on one of the Sunday shows. Seems so weak and out of touch. Republicans are insisting uh, on more border funding and new asylum restrictions that that be added to the, to the bill. What would it mean for Ukraine and Israel if Congress does not pass any additional support by the end of the year? And why not? agree to tougher border protections, which is an issue of national security as well. Well, Jake, the, the border piece, as you know, is out, of my, uh, is out of my purview. But I can say this. I know on, on day one uh, of this administration, or at least day, day two, the president put before Congress, I think, the first bill uh, on uh, immigration reform. Unfortunately, Congress hasn't acted on that. You know, it's always some bill. It's always some. There's a lot the executive branch can do right now on immigration, and they don't have to pass anything. Uh, am I right, Abe? All President Biden had to do was continue the policies of our border that President Trump implemented. And instead, he, to he chose to systematically destroy them one by one. So, you know, it's Anthony Blinken is a he's a liar. Like, let's call him for what he is. He lied about Hunter Biden's laptop. He's been lying continuously, and he's, he's created our the world in a much uh, a dangerous place because of the lack of leadership by Biden. So, you know, the border is <laughs> here in Arizona, you know, Greg, it, it 10,000, over 10,000 people came across our border over the last, uh, and some, and over the past few days. I mean, this is unbelievable. And what's, what they're bringing across the Southern border, a lot of it is fentanyl that's coming in from China. So to, to look at what's happening and to have Blinken suggest that Biden is doing everything he can on our border is just completely foolish. And everybody, not just in Arizona, but quite frankly, across the country recognizes that. That's why you're seeing these, you know, liberal mayors of Chicago, of New York, who are up in arms of the Biden administration because they're feeling the effects of the failed policies in their own cities. Hey, just 10 seconds, if you don't mind. I'm, I'm glad you're running, but, you know, you just ran last year. Uh, now you're running again. <laughs> like, is it is it hard to manage your life and to have a job and all the stuff you got to do just to get by in America and you're running for office again? Right. Is that that's that's tough. Well, especially that we got sanctioned by the Supreme Court $55,000 here in Arizona because we're still fighting our election lawsuit. So, you know, I, I look at this, what's going on. You know, 2024 is a do or die election for our country, Greg. So in many ways, we were born for a time such as this. So I'm honored to be in this fight with President Trump and Kerry Lake. All right. Awesome. Um, I think this is going to go very well. Good luck. Abe Hamaday and uh, to be continued. And we'll be right back. Congratulations. Hey guys, it's Carson. Imagine this. It's the dead of night. You're lying in bed. Suddenly you hear something go bump. What is your next move? 
Well, you reach for the ultimate solution, the new MC-14 tip-up pistol from EAA Corp. and Gerson. This game-changing firearm is perfect for those with limited hand strength, disabilities, or anyone seeking a comfortable and user-friendly alternative. Picture this. The MC-14T features an ingenious tip-up barrel design, making loading and unloading a breeze. Say goodnight to struggles while racking a slide. Just load the tip-up barrel, lock it back down, and you're ready to fire. The MC-14T is chambered in 380 ACP, boosting a 13-plus-1 round capacity. With its reliable stopping power and compact size, it's an excellent choice for personal defense, complete with accessory rail and ambidextrous safeties. Experience a new level of convenience. Available with all EAA Corp. distributors, starting at an incredibly affordable MSRP of just $498. Don't miss out on this game-changing firearm. Visit EAACorp.com today. That's EAACorp.com. Rudy Giuliani, back when he was, uh, well, fighting for election integrity. He had some thoughts on the election. This is still a free country, but maybe not. Rudy Giuliani is actually in trouble for some of the things he said back then. He was in court today in Washington, D.C. Uh, this is a more or less a technical procedure. The fake news is, well, they're out to destroy Rudy Giuliani. But I got to tell you, they can't. They can't. Uh, I see him all the time. His spirits are very high. And maybe yours would be, too, if you're getting shout outs like this. With crime at record levels and hundreds of thousands of people living on the sidewalks and streets, and with illegal aliens invading our city and state like nobody thought possible, did anybody think this was even possible? I believe we have a great chance of winning New York, Rudy. I think we have a great chance. Greatest mayor in our history. Greatest mayor in our history. By the way, his crime, when he took over New York, the crime was... Almost as bad. I can't be worse than this one, can I? I think, I mean, I want to say it was worse, but I don't think it could be worse than this. You're going to have to tell me about that. But it was bad. All right, I know the acoustics weren't perfect, but he was praising Rudy Giuliani, his leadership as mayor of New York. But if you know Rudy and you've been following it, I think some of his greatest contributions have happened since he's been mayor. He's right alongside his trusty lieutenant, his police commissioner, Bernie Carrick, who was also at the event, and uh, the president spoke about Bernie as well. But first, Commissioner Carrick, the former NYPD commissioner, uh, welcome. And uh, how are you? How was that event? It looked pretty awesome. Well, honestly, Greg, the, the event was awesome, yes. Um, but the president, uh, I have to say, was on fire. I mean, on fire. And there was a couple of things that came out of that that stunned me. One, um, I've said for the last few years that if he's going to run, he should really try to take New Jersey and New York because I think it can be done. And he said it actually that night. He's looking to take New York. He's looking to take New Jersey. He's looking to take Virginia and other places. Um, he was on fire, man. I mean, really on fire. You know, I had the same kind of hunch. You look at New York State, people think New York City. There's a lot of farmland. It's a very rural state, parts of it. And same goes for New Jersey. I have a hunch he could do the same thing. Uh, And listen, he talked about you. Look, you had your issue a long time ago. It was like a technical thing. It wasn't such a big deal, but the feds made it a big deal. And you got an amazing gift from 
from Donald Trump in the form of a pardon, and he spoke about it. I don't know if you were expecting this or not, but let's take a look. You know, I pardoned Bernie, and he was very emotional when I did it, right? He was, I didn't know he cried. I never thought he cried when he was a little baby, but he was very emotional. And now Bernie is cleaner. This is the expression they say I never quite understood than a newborn baby's ass. Did you ever hear that? I don't know what that means exactly, but that's what they say. But you are. You're the cleanest person in the room. <laughs> He's got a point about that thing with the baby's rear end. It, is it inherently clean or often not clean? What was that? Well, two things. Were you expecting that the other night? And then if you could talk about did you really lose it when you found out about the pardon? Well, you've known the president probably as long as I have. And that means, you know, you can never tell what's going to come out of his mouth. So I did not expect it. Um, but, I, but I have to tell you, Greg, uh, yeah, I was extremely emotional. February 18, 2020, when the president called me to tell me that he was granting me full clemency, um, I was extremely emotional because it's basically the president of the United States making you a whole citizen again because you lose your, your constitutional rights, your civil rights. You lose a number of things with a felony conviction in this country, which is why the persecutions against Donald Trump and Giuliani and all these other people over the election, it's completely insane. It's completely insane that they're going through this. But, uh, yeah, I, I was extremely emotional when I got that call. So the president did it. And I like also that he doesn't just pardon people at the last minute on the way out the door. He had almost a year left in office at that point. And um, I got to ask you this, though. The president made the phone call February 18th, 2020. I kind of remember something about you in February 18th, though, and the time you got the phone call. You care to tell us about that? Well, listen, you know, I, I didn't realize at the time. I got the call at uh, 12 in the afternoon, and it didn't come to my attention until later that night. I was actually in Florida when he called me. I got off the plane. I got to my house, and I realized the day I was convicted, the day I was convicted was February 18th, 10 years prior to the day, and my sentencing was around 12 noon, the same exact time that he called me. I can't fathom that he did this on purpose, but it was completely bizarre when I sat back and I thought about it. Not bizarre, and it didn't happen by accident. Donald Trump didn't do it on purpose, but somebody else did, and I think you know who that person is. I hope you do. <laughs> the almighty, in my opinion, absolutely. Well, that's amazing. By the way, if you want to pardon, folks, you know, you never know. Uh, you can go to the Department of Justice website. Yeah, the Department of Justice. Uh, there's actually a way. And what does it mean? Uh, the president can grant a pardon to a person who uh, was convicted. Generally, it is an expression of forgiveness. But if you go there, you really should fill one out. And then you'll have it on. Just do your part. Your part. You never know what's going to happen. Commissioner, we thank you so much. Thanks, Fred. All the best. And we'll be right back.
if they find enough evidence, don't you think the voters are smart enough in those districts to say, you know what, we did vote for Biden, but this looks really bad? And, and absolutely, if they have the stuff. If they I mean, have the, the stuff, Republicans right. at this point don't have, they've got a lot of ledgers and spreadsheets, but they have not connected the dots. They've connected the dots, the Department of Justice did on Hunter, but they have not shown where Joe Biden, uh, you know, did anything illegally. Okay. Uh, what's going on with Fox? <laughs> Fox trying to be all things to, I don't know. I don't know. I do know that there is clear-cut evidence tying this stuff to Joe Biden. You can quibble about the evidence. You can argue with it. But there is evidence indeed. Uh, I'd like to bring in our panel some great people. John Jordan, the Republican strategist and attorney. And, of course, Dick Morris, presidential strategist to uh, some of the greatest presidents, the greatest president. First of all, Dick, uh, your take on the Fox News identity crisis that seems to persist. Well, God knows it's uh, they need to put Rupert Murdoch on the shrink's, the shrink's couch so we can all understand that. Uh, there clearly is evidence, obvi obviously evidence, tying the actions of Hunter Biden, James Biden, Frank Biden, all to Joe Biden. And uh, the evidence in part is a $200,000 $200, check that James and Jill got from, uh, I'm sorry, that Joe Biden and Jill Biden got from James Biden. And uh, that we're not sure what that's for. But it could be a payoff for any number of things. Uh, James cut Joe in on a deal to promote global warming technology. I mean, the solar battery technology in Central America. He cut him in on a deal to to rehabilitate Iraq after the war uh, and uh, rebuild Iraq. And there are all kinds of deals that Joe Biden got could well have gotten money from. And we know that. He got $200,000. We just don't know to which specific deals. And impeachment is a political process. It's not necessarily a, uh, a legal one. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton got impeached, right? And uh, I don't think it's necessarily illegal what he did in this kind of way. But anyway, uh, another topic. Uh, John Jordan, uh, understand you've got some really uh, hot polling about Joe Biden. Yes, did some polling. You know, we've been talking for so long and it's been uh, occupied the media for a while that the black vote may be slipping away from Joe Biden and the Democrats. And all of the survey work on this was horse race survey. You know, who's ahead, who's, who's behind in which states. Um, Dick and I worked together on this and we wanted to find out the why. What's causing this and what can be done to bring more of those voters into the Republican fold, uh, for probably, presumably for President Trump next November? And the results were absolutely startling. Um, first of all, only 41 percent knew that President Trump had passed the First Step Act. Fifty-eight percent didn't know that Joe Biden was a friend with uh, Robert Byrd, who was a grand cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan. But, you know, numbers in the 70s and 80s of, of, of black voters we're in agreement with so many Republican positions. And so one of the things that Dick and I came up with is advice, you know, push, advocating for President Trump to actively go after and make his case to black voters in black media spaces. The idea to create a permission structure for more black voters 
to uh, vote Republican and for a lot of white voters. Incidentally, 22% support President Trump, um, but only 20, but 23% think President Trump is a racist, and there's um, and 65% of black voters do. So President Trump has to have some work to do to contest that narrative if he's going to hold on to that 23, 22% um, in the light of heightened Democrat efforts to bring those voters home and to, to, to attack him and make a, the Republican brand uh, toxic. You know, the fake news for a long time said that that is a lie about uh, Senator Byrd because people said, oh, he was a grand wizard. You got it right. <laughs> He's a grand cy cyclops. They had those in the KKK. And, and for a long time, they said, oh, that's so that's that's wrong. Um, all right. Dick, every time I do hear this very intriguing data. Ann Coulter complains about this. She says every cycle, Republicans get excited about the black vote and they see, you know, an opportunity. They see inroads, but it never happens. I actually think for a lot of reasons now it really could happen in a big, big, big way. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's huge. And Ann is wrong. Uh, there's never been a national poll that shows the Republican presidential candidate anywhere close to 22 percent of the vote. Uh, Biden, uh, Trump got 20, got 12 percent last time and 8 percent the time before that. So 22 percent is decisive. What I found fascinating about this poll that John and I did is over 40 percent of black voters said, I am doing worse financially, personally, right now than I did under Trump. And Joe Biden's policies are the reason I'm doing worse. Uh, he couldn't spell it out more clearly than that. Uh, and I think that Biden's record on race is so vulnerable. Yeah. He led the fight against school to, against school busing in the Senate. And he said, and I'm quoting him now, he said, there, what is there about my blonde-haired, blue-eyed son that having, needing to sit next to a black-skinned boy to be able to read and write? And uh, his comments were just incredible. And, and uh, they've been washed away or ignored. I mean, Kamala, remember, she took him out. She took him out, actually, in that debate, uh, the racial jungle. Hey, real quick, John, do you sense, and this has been bandied about before, that Trump has added credibility, quite frankly, because he's been arrested four times. And, you know, it's a fact that more African-Americans disproportionately have been impacted by the criminal justice system than whites. And that somehow this actually enhances his reputation. Like there's like, well, wow, you know, you know what it's like. And um, yeah, I understand. No, not everybody like the politically incorrect, whatever. Do you think there's any validity there? Yeah, there possibly is. Interestingly enough, 43% of respondents in this thought that Trump's being charged in all of these cases is politically motivated. Um, but that's not to say that a lot of these black voters see him as one of them. We have to be realistic, and Trump has to be uh, approached in a very realistic way. He, he still is regarded as a racist by uh, 65 percent. So he has to combat that. But the number that struck out was 43 percent. 43 percent thought that he was his being charged as political. That means there's room to grow in his numbers. All right. Excellent stuff. Appreciate it so much. John Jordan, Dick Morris, to be continued. And we'll be right back. promise you baby videos and pictures at the end of every show except this one i didn't do it in time but tomorrow thanks so much